0: It's great to be back here. It's a little warmer than Wisconsin, so my wife's mad she didn't come this time, but I'm glad to be back here. The talk I have this morning, I guarantee you it's very unique. you probably never heard a talk just like this. You might hate it, that's fine, but its you'll admit it's unique. Uh, but actually, I think it's going to be very exciting. It's going to help you defend your Christian faith in an extremely powerful way and hopefully gracious way as well. Um, I've gone over a lot of my background in the past, but I thought maybe this time I should give you my real background, and this is what I think my real background is. First Corinthians 1:27, but God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. That's kind of how I see myself. I, you know. I don't know why God chose me, but he tells me it's got nothing to do with me, which makes sense, (laughs) because if it did, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. So I'm just thankful God lets me breathe. But another verse I relate to is John 4, 44, where Jesus said, A prophet has no honor in his hometown. That's why I travel all the time, because I don't get any respect. (laughs) Now, if you don't know who that is, ask your parents. If you're really young, ask your grandparents. (laughs) Um, But anyway... A little bit more, a little bit of review from last time. I started a ministry about almost 18 years ago called the Starting Point Project. I've been speaking 39 years, but full time past 17 plus years, traveling all over the U.S. and nine other countries. Uh, but I was also invited to be on the board of a group called Logos Research Associates. This is the world's largest group of scientists who are Christians and creationists. The founding member, Dr. John Sanford, he's from Cornell University. He's famous for having invented something called the gene gun, inserts genes into the DNA. Uh, he was an atheist for much of his life, now he's a very strong Christian and one of the world's leading scientists. Then there's Dr. John Baumgartner. he's a PhD geophysicist. He's built the world's best 3D computer simulation of plate tectonics, <laughs> just off the charts brilliant. Even secular geologists will use that model to see how plates of the earth are moving So there's those two scientists, myself, and a few other board members. And I always say, as brilliant as these guys are, they'd be the first to admit that of all eight board members, I'm the tallest, so (laughs) pretty proud of that. Um, And then, I may have mentioned last time, about a year ago, the wheels fell off the group because they asked if I would step up and become president, so Now I have lost all respect for these guys if they want me to lead them, so it's just cool. It's humbling being around these guys. They're doing cutting-edge scientific research, and then I get to translate it into English for everyone else. Um, also lead Grand Canyon tours. Mentioned that last time. This is a shot top of Horseshoe Bend. We actually raft around it earlier in the day, and then we go up to the top at the end and watch the sunset. It's a, it's a wonderful trip. Uh, you can get more information on that uh, from our table, and I'll mention it at the end of the talk. But the reason you paid the big bucks this morning is to hear this talk. We're calling it the myth of facts versus faith. Uh, very powerful presentation here. We are living in an era where skeptics say they're all about facts and proven things. And Christians, we just, we just have faith, which is nothing more than wishful thinking and fairy tales and puppy dogs and things like that. And even many Christians kind of feel that way. They say, well, you know, Christianity, it, it is a faith and you just, you just need to believe it which makes them more hesitant to share their faith, because you really want to talk to a skeptic who's going to be throwing all the science at you, and you've got to tell them, yeah, just to ignore all the science, ignore all the scientists, and just trust me with my outdated religious book. that's full of errors and contradictions, and on and on. I mean, it's the mindset of a lot of people. Uh, so, Christians might be hesitant in sharing their faith. Well, we're going to work through this very powerfully this morning. I'm going to start out talking about what a lot of people think about faith, especially the skeptics. They think that faith is not a virtue. Faith is gullibility, dishonesty, blindness, absence of reason. Faith should not be respected. It should be detested. And then we have Sam Harris. He's one of the world's leading atheists today. This is what he said. It's time that we admitted that faith is nothing more than the license religious people give to one another to keep believing when reason fails. And then Christopher Hitchens, he was one of the leading atheists. He died a few years ago. He said it's called faith because it's not knowledge. And then Richard Dawkins, arguably the world's leading atheist today, he said faith is a great cop-out, a great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is belief in in spite of, even because of the lack of evidence. These guys are not impressed with the idea of faith. Even Mark Twain said this, Faith is believing what you know ain't so. (laughs) We know it's not true, but we're going to believe it anyway. That's what faith is all about, right? And again, many Christians kind of buy into this, one form or another. It's even crept into the church. And I'm not even talking about like extreme liberal churches. I'm talking about many even mainstream conservative Christian churches. Here's a sign out in front of one church that said this, Reason is the greatest enemy that faith has. I think that's a terrible message to be portraying to people who are driving by the church. What does Scripture say? Isaiah says, come and all let us reason together, says the Lord. Romans 12, 2 does not say be transformed by the removal of your mind. (laughs) It says be transformed by the renewal of your mind. God wants us to use the brains that he's given us. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to really think about these things. Here's another sign. If your faith is big enough, facts don't count. Don't worry about all that pesky science and those facts things. If your faith is strong enough, it doesn't matter. Again, a terrible message to be giving to the world around us. So we're going to be talking about defending the Christian worldview here this morning, and you can pare the Christian worldview down to two basic elements. If you want to make it as simple as humanly possible, two things. Number one, God exists. Number two, you're not him. (laughs) Um, That's actually not the second one. The second one is the Bible is the Word of God. Two things, God exists, the Bible is his word. Everything else is going to be a subset of one of those two categories. If we could prove these two things, we'd be done. We wouldn't need to prove the creation account, because we've already proven that the Bible is true. Well, the Bible says that God created things, so we wouldn't need to prove that. We wouldn't have to prove there was a worldwide flood. We wouldn't have to prove the deity of Jesus or any of those things, because we've proven these two things. There's a problem with this approach. Here's the problem. God doesn't need you to prove that he exists, and you can't technically prove that the Bible is the inspired word of God. I mentioned in the first service that Pastor James is probably pretty nervous at this point. He's already heard the rest of the talk, so he's okay. (laughs) The rest of you are nervous. (laughs) This sounds kind of not right, (laughs) but hang in there. This is going to make perfect sense as we unpack this, and it's going to be the very thing that helps you defend your faith in a powerful way, but you you got to be patient with me here. So when you think about the existence of God, probably the first thing that pops into your head is a coil of rope, right? Maybe that's just me. (laughs) Here's the point. Let's say you go to the hardware store, and you ask the guy for one meter of rope. So he goes over to the coil, cuts off a piece, and hands it to you. He says, there you go. And then you ask him, "How, how do I know this is a meter? He says, well, I know it's a meter because I use a tape measure. He's appealing to a higher authority. It's not just his opinion. He use a tape measure. okay? Then you ask him, well, how do I know that the tape measure is accurate? He says, I know that the tape measure is accurate because they're making it in the manufacturing plant where they do it just right. Okay, you're in a bad mood that day. You want to give them a hard time? How oh, do I know they're doing it right in the manufacturing plant? Says I know they're doing it right there because they're using the standards that were established at the Council of Weights and Measures in 1983, and they determined a meter is going to be the distance light travels in a vacuum in 300 millionths of a second. <laughs> a meter is that distance because they said so. That's where they established it. It is the ultimate authority for determining the length of a meter. So what we just did here is we kind of kept going up the ladder into a higher source of authority, until you get to the end of the line, eventually you're going to reach the end. It doesn't go on forever. We've reached the end. That is the ultimate authority. There's nowhere else to go. With that in mind, think about this. If the Bible truly is the inspired Word of God, it's the ultimate authority. But if it's the ultimate authority, there's no way to prove it, because you can't go up even higher to use that to show that it's true. It's not like we can appeal to a mega-god over our god, and the mega-god says, yeah, the book you're looking at, yeah, that was written by the subservient god that you guys worship. It doesn't work that way. When you're talking about God and his word, you're at the end of the line. It's the ultimate source of authority. And if it is the ultimate source of authority, there's no way of proving it. You don't try to prove it. It is your starting point. You start with that belief. You start with the belief that God exists and the Bible is His Word. Now, you got the logic of the rope thing, and then you, you kind of applied that to Christianity, and you kind of see how that might work, but you're like, what in the world would I do with that? Like, how is that going to convince anyone that the Bible is true or whatever? Hang in there. <laughs> this will make a lot of sense. Back to facts versus faith. Skeptics are all about facts. They're into proven everything, and you just have this blind faith. Well, guess what? Everybody starts somewhere with their belief system that's why we actually call our ministry the starting point project everyone starts somewhere whether you're an atheist buddhist muslim mormon christian it's impossible to not start somewhere you have to start somewhere we call it our starting point our bias, our presuppositions our beginning assumptions our worldview. everyone has one the skeptic again wants you to believe their starting point their foundation is facts they're proving everything with facts so he asked him a question, well, what, help me understand that. What do you mean by facts? Well, you know, like science, we're in a laboratory and doing things, okay. but what is science? Science is really the thoughts and opinions of other men and women, most of which this person's probably never even met. Now, really quick side note, because I, I, I try to keep my talks short, and someone says, oh, you, I, I was confused on this. so I'm going to clear it up a little bit. There's two types of science. One's operational science. That's where you go into a laboratory and make a cell phone, you cure diseases, stuff like that. It's repeatable, everyone can see it. That's great stuff. No one's really debating that. Creationists and Christians and atheists, we're not debating how to make cell phones. That's great science. We're not arguing about that. But the other type of science is historical science. That deals with the events that happen in the unobserved past. Nobody saw the origin of the universe. Nobody saw the origin of life. You have to guess at those things. That's the kind of science that we're talking about here with worldviews. And that science is thoughts and opinions of other men and women. They're looking at stuff, and then they're making guesses about the past. So this guy says he's about facts, but it's not really facts, it's about science, but science is really thoughts and opinions of other men and women. So then I ask him, how do you know you can trust the thoughts and opinions of other men and women, most of which you've never met? Well, I, I can tell that they're right, I can think through it, and I can f- sense that they are correct. Right? So you're using your reasoning to figure out why someone else you've never met is right about their opinions. I got a question. How do you know you can trust your reasoning? Well, you know, it's worked well for me throughout my life, and I can just tell, you know. So now you're using your reasoning to tell me why you can trust your reasoning, (laughs) which is circular reasoning. And then I would tell them, that's okay. Why? Because everyone's got to start somewhere. So you can pick whatever you want. I just want you to understand better, you're not about facts. You assume to begin with that you can trust your reasoning, but you can't prove that that's just your starting point, which is fine, but I want you to understand that better. okay, well, what about the Christian? What is our starting point? Oh well, I've already mentioned it. We believe that God exists in the Bible's his word. you can't prove that I'm not trying to prove it I've got to start somewhere. you got to pick whatever you wanted. This is what I want. <laughs> you know I believe that God exists in the bible's his word, and then we use that starting point to define Everything else, what science and logic are, history, philosophy, ethics, morality, all those things are defined by what we've chosen to start with. This is kind of how it works. So again, it's kind of making sense to you, but you're still wondering, like, where are we headed with this? What would I do with this? Again, hang in there. (laughs) A typical defense of the Christian worldview would involve talking about the complexities of life. When I have a talk on DNA, it's just so cool, it'll make your head spin in a good way. It's so complex. We would say, well, that's evidence, you know, that God created it and all that. And I've given evidences for the resurrection. I've given evidences for Greek and Hebrew Bible manuscripts and all that. I've done that for 39 years. But here's the problem. You can't use evidence as proof. Wait a minute. Why not? It has nothing to do with Christianity. It has to do with evidence. Nobody uses evidence as proof. And you'll understand why. I'm going to give you three reasons in my Full talk, which all of our videos are free. talk about that at the end. I have seven examples, I think, in the full talk. I'm just going to give you three quick examples why no one really uses evidence as actual, absolute proof. And it'll make sense to you. Number one, the skeptic might have a different interpretation of the evidence. Because guess what? Facts don't speak for themselves. They don't say anything. They're just sitting there. They have to be interpreted to give them meaning. And the skeptic will look at the facts you've just given them, and they'll interpret them. Differently. And this is interesting. As an example, let's take DNA. A Christian typically would say, Look at the DNA. It is unbelievably complex. That is proof that God created it and the Bible's right. So they're looking at evidence, DNA, saying it's proof according to their worldview. An atheist could look at the same facts, the same DNA, and what they will say is, No, we think that's what nature does. We don't have all the answers yet, but we're making good progress. We just think you have enough time, millions and billions of years, particles banging together could produce the DNA. We're working on it. We're making good progress. So we don't think that that's evidence of creation or the Christian worldview. Here's where it gets even more interesting. You have a third person looking at the same evidence. And this person is also an atheist. And they say, you know what? You Christians are right. There's no possible way that that dna is an accident that was designed you are right but it wasn't designed by your god it's designed by aliens (laughs) (laughs) now that sounds funny but you probably heard of dr francis crick co-founder of the dna molecule a co-discoverer of the dna molecule brilliant scientist he looked at that dna and eventually came to the conclusion that's not an accident there's no way it was designed but he was an atheist he didn't want it to be the god of the bible but he needed a designer. So his belief was that maybe four billion years ago, somewhere else in the universe that we can't see, (laughs) there were aliens who designed DNA and life in seed form, put it on spaceships, flew it to Earth, dropped it off, and it grew from there. Now, it sounds like a silly story. Did he believe that because he wasn't smart enough? Oh, that guy was so much smarter than I am. That wasn't the problem. He had the wrong starting point to interpret the DNA. So they're going to come to different conclusions, and we have the whole thing backwards. Pretty much everyone sitting here this morning thinks this. What you do is you look at some evidence. You come to a conclusion, and you figure out which worldview is correct. Nope. It's the opposite. You start with your existing worldview. That's your starting point, and you use that to interpret the evidence to come to some conclusion. It's backwards. If you don't start with your starting point, that's not your starting point. <laughs> Something else is. So it's, it's really backwards. So that's one reason we don't use evidence as proof. Number two, we don't use evidence as proof because you are letting the skeptic be the judge. Now, where do we most often hear evidence being presented? Well, typically in a courtroom situation. Judges, or The lawyers come in, present some evidence to the judge and the jury, and then the judge and the jury jury gets to decide the truth of the matter. When you present evidence to a skeptic, You're presenting evidence to someone who doesn't think clearly. Now, that sounds very derogatory and condescending. I don't mean it that way. So why would I say that? Because this is what Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 1, talking about skeptics. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. This is not name-calling by God. He's not saying, oh, they're just fools. He's describing their thinking process because they've chosen to reject all the phenomenal evidence that God has put just in his creation. God says you can do that, but there are consequences. You're not going to be able to think clearly anymore. You won't be able to think wisely. That's what's being said here. So when we tell the skeptic all about DNA and they say, I don't think that's evidence for creation. And we say, how can you not see this? God's telling us that's why they don't see it. This is a spiritual issue. Um, They've rejected all the other evidence, and they're going to interpret it differently. So we need to keep that in mind. Third reason we don't use evidence as proof. Um, The skeptic already knows that God exists. There are no atheists. There never have been, there never will be. That sounds strange, because you probably all know atheists. There may be atheists here this morning, and I really, really hope there are. Seriously, I'm absolutely honored if you're here this morning. So why would I say this? Is it because I've read all the philosophy books and realized all the authors are wrong? No. Have I interviewed all the atheists and realized that they're wrong? No. Just read God's Word again. Back to Romans chapter 1. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So when we run around trying to prove that God exists, God's kind of saying to us, what are you doing? They already know I exist. This is a spiritual issue. Now, there are no atheists, there are no people on this planet who don't know that God exists. They all know that God exists. Now, some of them claim that God doesn't exist and they call themselves atheists. In that sense, there have always been atheists and there always will be. But they're not people who don't know. They're people who have chosen to reject that knowledge. That's what Scripture tells us. We need to keep that in mind. So we don't use evidence to prove God's existence or the inspiration of the Bible. Those beliefs are our starting point. And I'm going to continue to build on this and it's going to get better and better so you don't need to walk out. <laughs> um, so how do you approach a skeptic? Things are a little bit confusing. and You might have to watch this presentation a number of times to really get it down. But Alright, so how do you approach a skeptic? Well, if this is our starting point, uh, I think we should start there with the skeptic. And I've done that. And I've done that with atheists. And what do they tell me? I don't believe the Bible's from God. I said, of course you don't. <laughs> you, don't you don't even believe that God exists. The Bible certainly is in His Word then. I'm going to share it with you anyway. Why would I do that? Because the power is in God's Word. They don't believe that, but I know that. And here's another reason why I do that. Do not assume the skeptic understands what the Bible actually claims. See, for years I was discussing things with skeptics and giving them all this evidence that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. And along the way, many of them were convinced, like, wow, yeah, it does seem like these guys didn't just make that up. Maybe it is the inspired Word of God. But guess what? It was depressing for many of them, because they assumed that God was this evil ogre who hated them, and was just waiting for them to mess up so he could smash him and send him to hell. And then I come along and say, "Yep, that's correct." <laughs> no, make sure they understand God's holy nature and how much He loves them, that even though they have rejected their Creator, He loved them so much, He decided to send his own son to die on a cross to pay their penalty. He loves them infinitely. And he offers this free gift to them, forgiveness of sins. Make sure they clearly understand that message in Scripture. And once they understand that clearly, even if they say they're not believing it, at least they know what it's claiming, then you go on to share why you believe it is what it claims to be, that it's the Word of God, and how it best explains the real world around us. And we'll do a little bit of that here coming up. So what good is evidence? A lot of people kind of get depressed or upset, saying, well, you're telling me evidence is no good? I never said that. I never said evidence isn't any good. I just said technically it doesn't qualify as proof. But evidence can be very powerful. And we do need to understand it and to use it. And this is how we use it. We take these worldviews out for a test drive. And that's what we're going to do with the remainder of the talk. We're going to compare an atheistic worldview with a Christian worldview. And all we're going to do is we're going to look at different things and ask each side to explain it. How does your worldview account for this particular thing? And we'll have both sides take a shot at it. And we're going to do that with six quick examples. Three philosophical tests and three scientific tests. We're going to start out with three philosophical tests. The first philosophical test has to do with logic. (laughs) So what we're going to do is we're going to think about what logic is and then ask each side to explain how, how you account for the existence of this thing that we call logic. That's what we're going to do. We're not trying to prove or disprove anything. We're just saying, take it out for a test drive. So, start out with the atheistic worldview. I've asked atheists, do you believe that logic exists? And they always look at me like, what are you, crazy? Of course, why would you even ask that? I say, I'm just checking. Do you believe there are laws of logic? Like the law of non-contradiction. I can't both be standing here talking to you right now and not standing here talking to you right now. They would say, yeah, there are, there are laws of logic. Okay, are these laws physical things? Can I take them into a laboratory and weigh them and paint them and bend them? They would say, no, they're they're not physical things. They're non-physical things. Okay? Are they the same everywhere? Are they the same here in Georgia as they are in Wisconsin and on the moon and all? Are they different in different places? And the atheists would say, well, no, they're not different. They're the same everywhere. Okay? Do they change? Will they be the same tomorrow morning as they are right now? Were they the same 2,500 years ago? Or do they change over time? And the atheist would say, well, no, they they don't change, they stay the same. Okay, I just want to sum this up, make sure I got this accurately. You believe there are laws of logic that are non-physical things, they're the same everywhere, and they don't change. And the atheist would say, yes, that's what I believe. Okay, I got one more question for you. Uh, Where'd they come from? See, you're an atheist. You believe the only thing that exists is matter and energy. There's no God, no soul, no spirit. Everything is matter and energy. Um, We've never seen matter and energy create a non-physical thing. But you believe in these non-physical things. So help me understand, like, where, where where did this thing that you believe in come from? And then help me understand, what is it in your worldview? The thing you chose to start with, what is it in there that tells you you know these laws are the same everywhere? And then what is it in your worldview that tells you you know they never, ever, ever change? guess what? There is nothing, absolutely nothing in their worldview that can account for the existence of these non-physical things that are the same everywhere and never change. But they believe in them, they use laws of logic, and they demand that you be logical. But their own worldview can't even account for its existence. And if you think about it, if you cannot account for the existence of logic, you're done. Because you have to use logic to talk about anything else. So we're kind of done before we have even got started. All right. Well, it's only fair to turn the tables and ask the Christian, how do we account for all of this? This is, I actually look at this as being beautiful. This is amazing. Uh, Christians believe in a God who himself is a non-physical entity. He's the same everywhere and he doesn't change. That God created a world that operates under the laws of logic which themselves are non-physical, they're the same everywhere and they don't change. They reflect his character. It makes perfect sense in a Christian worldview but it's totally antithetical or against an atheistic worldview. It's just phenomenal. I have one more quote I'm going to give you from Sam Harris, the atheist. If I would have shown you this quote before I even started the talk you'd probably be intimidated by it and you wouldn't know how to respond. Now you're going to kind of smirk (laughs) because he said this kind of condescendingly. If someone doesn't value logic, what logical argument would you invoke to prove they should value logic? <laughs> I would just say, uh, your worldview can't even account for its existence. <laughs> Mine can. <laughs> and it makes sense not only that it exists, but that we should use it. <laughs> but not so much on your end. Uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I've got to keep moving here. Second, philosophical test. Absolute morality. Why is it that no matter where you go on the planet, people just sense... You can't just walk up to someone and shoot them because you don't like their hat. You can't just kill them for whatever reason. They just kind of know that. Now, some people will commit murder, but the vast majority of people who do, they know it was wrong, but they wanted to do it anyway, maybe hope they could get away with it or whatever, but they know it's not right. Now, a few people, there's something going wrong with their brains, I mean, that's really rare, but it happens where they, they can't tell right from wrong. That's certainly an exception, but everyone else knows murder is wrong. Why is that? Let's ask the atheist. Well, that's how we've evolved. We have evolved to sense that murder is wrong. It's not that it maybe actually is, but we've, we've all evolved that way. Oh, evolution. Yeah, help, help me understand that better. That's that whole natural selection, survival of the fittest thing, right? Yes. So if I, as a Christian, decide the atheists are giving me a hard time and I want to wipe them all out, you can't tell me that's wrong. No, you can't just kill all the atheists. Why not? That's survival of the fittest. That's how you believe we got here. If it wasn't for that, we wouldn't be here today. And now you're telling me it's wrong? I missed the memo on that. When did it change? <laughs> well, it's it's more so that it's the way chemicals move in your brain that give you the sensation that it would be wrong. Oh, chemicals in the brain, yes. So if my chemicals move differently and I kill you, no one can tell me it's wrong. It's says, chemicals, I'm not controlling that. <laughs> well, no, you can't kill me because... Uh, An atheist has no justification for explaining why murder is wrong. They may not like it. Oh, we have laws. You are right, we have laws. But it's not that we had no clue of what to think about murder, and then someone made a law, oh, I guess it's wrong now because we made this law. It's the opposite. We all knew murder was wrong. So he said, we better get something in the books. So when someone commits murder, we've already decided what we're going to do about it. That's where that came from. So, turn the tables, Christians. How do we explain it? Very simple. Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not murder. We're created in the image of God. And God has instilled his moral law inside every single human being. It makes perfect sense in a Christian worldview, but it's totally absent in an atheistic worldview. Third and final philosophical test, the idea of knowledge and certainty. This one's kind of fun. You could ask the atheist, is there anything... You believe you know absolutely for sure. There's no possible way you're wrong. And You might say, uh, I know I'm here right now. How do you know you're here right now? I'm talking to you. How do you know you're not just dreaming that you're talking to me? Because you're talking back to me. How do you know you're not just dreaming that I'm talking back to you? I can pinch myself. How do you know you didn't just dream that you pinched yourself and felt it? It's interesting. None of us can prove we're here right now. Technically, scientifically, you can't prove you're here. Now there's so much evidence. Nobody spends a half a second thinking about it. We know we're here. It's good enough. Even if you can't technically prove it. One other concept is very important. If I told you my next door neighbor's oldest son was 31 years old, but, eh, you know, I, I could be wrong. If I say that, do I know absolutely for sure he's 31? Not if I'm admitting I could be wrong, So then you ask the atheist this out of all the information there is to know, what percentage do you think you know? You probably said pretty small. I said, Yeah, me too, but for argument's sake, let's say they think they know 1% of everything out there. And I would ask, is it possible? Is it even possible that something in the 99% you're admitting you don't know, that might reveal you are actually wrong about what you thought you knew in the 1%? Is that possible? And they'd have to say, yeah, I guess it's possible. Well, if it's possible you're wrong about the 1%, do you even know the 1%? Not really. In fact, I said, you can't actually know anything for sure. Well, yeah, well, you can't either. Are you sure about that? (laughs) They can't even be sure you don't know anything for sure. At that level, it's starting to sound kind of juvenile, but that's not our intention. We're just thinking through their worldview. Now, there is one way you could know something for sure absolutely sure. That is, if you knew 100% of everything, because then you're never going to learn something new, because you know it all. Now, that doesn't look too good for us. I, I used to know everything, but now I know better. <laughs> um, but there's one way, another way, you could actually know something absolutely for sure. That is, if you knew somebody who knew 100% of everything, and they chose to tell you some of that, and they didn't lie about it. You could know something for sure. Guess what? That's the Christian worldview. Christians believe in God who knows everything and he's revealed some of that to us and he does not lie. A Christian has a philosophical basis for claiming to know something absolutely for sure because it's not something that we have to kind of reason to and like I'm pretty sure about this. God has instilled absolute knowledge in us, and that can happen because God can do that. We have a basis for claiming to know something for sure, whereas the atheist has to admit they could be wrong about everything. we just disprove their worldview? We're not really even trying to. It's just not looking good. And now we're going to move on to three scientific tests, and we'll go pretty quick with this. We're going to look at the concept of the origin of the universe, and both of these worldviews have different beliefs and predictions about these topics, and then we'll look at evidence. So first we'll talk about an atheistic worldview. An atheist would say that the universe came about through a Big Bang. And they say that's a 100% natural event. Now a lot of religious people, even Christians, will say, well, yeah, I believe that God used the Big Bang because the scientists have proven the Big Bang and, you know, someone had to start it, so I just think that God did and, you know, God's all powerful. That's a whole other series of talks that I could give. Uh, what you're, you end up doing is you take a very poor scientific concept, the Big Bang, which is filled, it's covered with band-aids, it's on life support, Uh, you take that, you stick it in the Bible, and now you have errors and contradictions and all sorts of problems. Big Bang is not a good concept, but it's the best thing that they have. And the scientists who drafted the Big Bang did so in order to try to explain the origin of the universe apart from God. So when Christians say, well, sure, we'll take your Big Bang, that's what God did. And they're like, you don't understand. We got this thing covered without God. This just happened. Interesting side note. There's one fascinating thing about the Big Bang, and that is it doesn't explain the origin of the universe. Wait a minute, I mean, that's what it is. It's the origin of the universe. No, not really. The the Big Bang doesn't even kick in until after you have all the stuff you need. The Big Bang isn't a force or anything like that. It's a description of how stuff expanded and developed into the universe we see today. That's what the Big Bang is. It doesn't create the stuff it's just a description of what happened to the stuff after the stuff got here. Uh, again, a whole other talk. I've got to keep moving here. But the atheists would say Big Bang created everything. Christians would say, no, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Supernaturally called something into existence from nothing. Those are the two different beliefs. Let's look at evidence. We're going to look at two quick lines of evidence. First, first and second laws of thermodynamics. These are probably the best two laws we have in science. First law basically says you can't get something out of nothing. <laughs> Second law says when you do have stuff left to its own, it goes downhill. It gets worse and worse, less and less useful over time. We've never, ever, 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 ever seen an exception to that. That's why we made a law out of it. Well, that goes against the atheistic worldview that we got something out of nothing. In fact, we got everything out of nothing. And then it got better and better and better, more and more organized over time. That's just the opposite of what we actually know from science. Second line of reasoning, something called fine-tuning or the anthropic principle, it seems like this universe is finely tuned or set up just right for life to be possible. There's all these factors in science and especially physics that if the values aren't right, 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 excuse me, right where they are, life's not possible. So do we get lucky There was this big bang, everything came out of nothing, and all these factors just settled right where they need to be? Or would that be evidence of design? So I'm gonna take a look at just two We could look at tons of them. I'm going to take two from another talk that I have. The gravitational constant, force of gravity, and the cosmological constant. It has to do with the energy density of empty space. Forget about the details. These are just two two factors in physics that are very finely tuned. What are the chances that these two, just these two, happen by accident? No God, no designer, no creator. Secular scientists have calculated this. They tell us there's just one chance in 100 million Trillion, 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 trillion. If you haven't studied math or science much yet, that's a big number. Here's a quote from Sir Frederick Hoyle. He was one of the world's leading astronomers and mathematicians. He was an atheist for most of his life. He came to the conclusion there must be a God just by studying math and science. And when he heard about this new theory about the origin of the universe, this explosion thing, he goes, what, like like a Big Bang? He was being sarcastic, and that term stuck. So That's how we got the term, the Big Bang. This is what this former atheist stated. A common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as with chemistry and biology and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. He says, there's no way this is an accident. This was created by a super intelligent. And that was a guy who was an atheist for most of his life. And he came to that conclusion just by studying math and science. So, just these two evidences fit very well with the Christian worldview, but they go totally against an atheistic worldview. That's just the first example from science. A second test, the variety of life, millions of species on this planet. I could talk for years on this and all the details. I have to be miraculously brief here. Again, different beliefs and predictions. Atheistic worldview says that all the variety of life today came about through evolution, which is mutations and natural selection. Mutations is, generally speaking... Accidental copying errors. Creatures reproduce themselves. They copy their DNA. and Oops, <laughs> made a mistake there. Made a mistake, made a mistake. And that's supposed to drive evolution, make things better and better and better. have got lots of talks on that. That's their belief. Biblical view, ten times in Genesis 1, God says he created creatures to reproduce after their kind. Can they produce a variety? Oh, wonderful variety, but always within distinct limits. Those are the two beliefs. Let's look at some evidence. Today, dogs, dingoes, coyotes, and wolves can all breed together. And If you picture a dog, dingo, coyote, or a wolf, they look very similar because they're the same kind of animal. You can breed a dog and a wolf, and you get a wolf dog. This is real biology. It's not a shock to anyone. The offspring looks a little bit like the dog, a little bit like the wolf. What you can't do is breed a dog and a hummingbird and get something like this. <laughs> That one's not going to happen because they're not the same kind of animal. We know that. Modern genetics screams that. It will never happen. Guess what? A few thousand years ago, that's what the Bible said, science is catching up. So this supports very well the Christian worldview that things reproduce after their kind, variety but limits. But it goes totally against a single-celled organism coming from dead chemicals, (laughs) copying itself and turning into every other life form, just as a natural slow progression. We don't see any evidence of that at all. Again, there's a lot more behind that. The final scientific test, the origin of information. All of us use information all the time, but you almost never think about what information actually is. We're gonna think about what it is and how do these worldviews account for its existence? Again, different beliefs and predictions. An atheist would say all the information and all the living things all over the planet came from random actions of particles and molecules smashing together. Big bang came out of nowhere, produces hydrogen and helium, and then eventually those particles bang together and here we are. I mean, literally that's what they believe, skipping details in the middle, but starts out just particles banging together all the way. There's no god, nothing's trying to happen, it's just random actions produce all the information we have today. Christians believe John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, logos. God spoke things into existence. Word, information. God did that. So the two beliefs Let's take a look at some evidence here. If you take a look at a newspaper, it has a lot of information in it using paper and ink. Books using paper and ink can hold even more information. Then you have thumb drives. Thumb drives using some metal and some plastic can hold even more information. And then you have computer hard drives, metal, some plastic can hold even more information. In each of those cases, those materials do a phenomenal job of storing information. But in none of those cases did the materials create the information. The ink and the paper didn't write the newspaper column. A columnist did. Ink and paper didn't write the book. The author did. The metal and plastic didn't write Microsoft Office. Software engineers developed it and they just used those materials to store the information. In every single case, you can always trace the information back to an intelligent source every single time. So now we look at DNA. DNA is just different physical materials. And it has even more information on it, and its storage capacity is absolutely amazing. So let's take a look at the storage capacity of DNA. We're gonna first talk about the volume of DNA. How much space does the DNA take up? Typical human adult has anywhere from like 80 to 100 trillion cells in their body, microscopic in size. And in the nucleus of each of these cells, you have strands of DNA. If you took just one of the cells in your body, went into the nucleus and pulled out the DNA. It would be about six feet long. Really long, but super thin to fit in this microscopic nucleus of the cell. And that single cell, single strand from one cell has all the information to develop your body and help you function as a human being. All that's in every single strand. But if you take that cell from the tip of your finger, it could make an eyeball there or a brain. But it says, no, I know where I am. I'm making a skin cell on the finger. It's just phenomenally complex. If you took the DNA strand out of every single cell in your body and lined them up end-to-end, you'd be dead, so don't do that. Um, (laughs) So let's just take a look at the volume. One strand, one six-foot strand that has all the information to help you function and exist. How how much volume does that take up? Super thin. It's 0.000017 zeros, and then a three cubic meters. That is unbelievably tiny, yet it houses all that information In fact, the first book that I wrote that's on the table over here, it has about 300 pages. You could fit over 5,200 copies of that book on one strand of your DNA. It's just the storage capacity is amazing. Let's say you had just a pinhead amount of your DNA. So head of a pin, you have that volume made up of your DNA. How much information could you store in that small volume? Well we used to use CDs, they would hold 100,000 pages of text. That's pretty good storage capacity. A thumb drive today, if you just had like a 4-gig thumb drive, that holds, holds 6 CDs. That's 600,000 pages of text in that tiny thumb drive. And then we now have portable hard drives. A 2-terabyte hard drive can hold 500 thumb drives. And a 2-terabyte hard drive is roughly, let's say, the size of my Bible here. That's pretty impressive, the storage capacity that we've designed Let's take a look at that pinhead amount of DNA. It could hold the equivalent of two million two-terabyte hard drives in a pinhead amount of your DNA. Oh, but particles just banging together over millions of years designed that. Like, uh, my faith isn't strong enough to believe that. Just that screams the Christian worldview is true. This did not happen by accident. There's a lot more we could talk about. All we just did was we took these two worldviews out for a test drive. And it did not go well at all for the atheists. And at this point, I would tell them, you are more than welcome to keep that worldview. But you are going to have no end of problems as you try to navigate this world. In fact, the only, the only thing that will work is the Christian worldview. You start with that, And then you start to make sense of everything going around you. Now, if you just have a generic worldview, like, well, I do believe there's a God but not the Christian God, that'll help. It'll help explain maybe DNA or whatever, but it won't explain everything else and how things are going downhill and why it was corrupt because of Adam and Eve's sin and then the whole solution of Jesus Christ. So you can have this middle ground that helps a little bit, but it doesn't help with your eternity or anything. The Christian worldview is the only thing that works all along the way, 100% of the time. So Christian worldview, two elements, God exists, and the Bible is his word. That is our starting point. And so you don't have to try to run around trying to prove that. You can just tell someone, if you don't yourself use the starting point that I've chosen, you know, good luck in a sense. You know, and you don't want to say that sarcastically. You want to be very gracious. But that's your starting point. Rather than trying to prove all these details that we get caught into the weeds and all that, no, you can just tell them. You don't start with this. How do you explain logic? If you can't explain logic, we're done. Because I notice you're going to use logic to talk about anything else, but you can't. It's like an analogy. Two gunfighters out west, they're going to have a a showdown here. Can you imagine one walking up to the other one saying, hey, can I borrow your gun? I need to shoot you. (laughs) I don't know. Like, get your own gun. That's what an atheist has to do. They have to steal from the Christian worldview to tell us why the Christian worldview isn't correct. It, It doesn't make any sense. So what we just covered is technically called presuppositional Apologetics. I did not tell you that ahead of time. You would all run out of here to go watch Paint Dry, which sounds more interesting. (laughs) Presuppositions. Things you presuppose to be true. You assume from the beginning those things are true. And then you use those things to do apologetics, to defend the Christian worldview. So you start out assuming certain things are true, and then you use that to defend the Christian worldview. That's what presuppositional apologetics is all about, and that's what I just covered. And you kind of get the gist of it. But you might have to go over this a number of times to really get it down to be able to put it into practice. That's why we have a whole video of this, um, which you can watch for free. You can get the sermon here and watch it again. But this is, again, the myth of facts versus faith. I also call this, faith is not a four-letter word. But sometimes I use this more often because I found out youth, many youth, are not familiar with the phrase four-letter words. They never, so the, the title... Faith is not a four-letter word makes no sense. They are telling me, no, faith is five letters. I I know that. (laughs) Faith is, you know, four-letter words, swear words are bad. Faith isn't bad, and faith isn't four letters. It's five. It's supposed to be a clever title, but if I have to explain it, I guess it's not so clever. (laughs) So very quickly, I'll just mention the resources we brought along, because almost everything we have is free. You can see it at our table here. It's also available online. We currently have 34 free streaming videos including this talk called faith is not a four-letter word it's a two-part series um so 34 free videos you can go to our website and get it we also have uploaded them on our youtube channel i started doing a podcast one year ago this month someone told me i needed to do podcasts i said i have absolutely no time so now i do podcasts (laughs) Um, and i'm just sitting at home recording things but i've been told we've already reached the top five percent of podcasts on the planet it's like that that's a god thing um we'll also uh, thank you uh, very very po- it's great for sending links to skeptics because it's very graciously portrayed and it's very rational i said we're going to think through this thing seriously we're not going to avoid any tough questions i want you to think about this and we just methodically go through the, the you know, origin of the universe the existence of god inspiration of the bible and on and on so Very powerful. Uh, Those are free. You can go get them from our website. You can also see the links to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, I write a question of the month uh, newsletter. It comes out through email. Once a month you can sign up at the table or online. I write a question of the month article. It's in the newsletter. Plus, we post all the old ones. uh, uh, Archive them on the website. You can see those there. I've done some live stream broadcasts in the past. We've archived some of those. And then I've written a pocket guide. Evidence for the Inspiration of Scripture, that's what I presented last August. So the pocket guide is here again. It shows you four categories of evidence. It gives you one example in each category. That's on the table for free. So lots and lots of free stuff. The only thing we saw are the three books that I've written because it costs us a lot of money to print them and produce them and ship them across the country. Um, My assistant uh, didn't get maybe notified in time to, so we didn't, we weren't able to ship our books down here in boxes. But I have a sample of each book. You can look at them if you want to purchase them. You can purchase them. We'll ship them later this week to the church. You can pick them up uh, when they arrive. We even discounted the books. You can get all three for just $30. Um, and I'm not here to raise support, but we've never charged a penny. 39 years of speaking, never charged a penny. We rely on our monthly supporters and people become monthly supporters and we give them the books for free. So then everything is free. So that's how our ministry operates. I already mentioned the Grand Canyon Tours. There's a brochure on the table if you're interested. It'd be great to get a group from the church to go. Um, and it's all about the authority of Scripture. You won't only learn about the canyon and the flood. You'll learn about how do we know God exists? How do we know the Bible is inspired the Word of God? What about the whole creation evolution thing? What about the Ice Age? What about carbon 14 dating? How do you mentor your children and grandchildren? How do you reach out to skeptics very graciously? It's just teaching throughout the whole tour family friendly walking on flat paved paths we take a bus down to the river perfectly smooth sailing on the river it, it couldn't be really any easier than it is so um, you can get more information from us at our website the startingpointproject.com you can contact me i will also be at my table uh, after the service if you have some additional questions but i appreciate you putting up with me talking 50 miles 50 million miles an hour um, I usually mention James 1.19 says be slow to speak, but it doesn't say speak slow, so I go fast. <laughs> and I wasn't here to teach you a lot of details to memorize. I'm here to like just overwhelm you with you can trust God's Word cover to cover. The Christian worldview is powerful, and be looking for opportunities to share your faith with others. So I will close in a word of prayer. I look forward to meeting you afterwards. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this time that we've had. I pray for everyone here this morning. I pray for those who already know you. They don't just believe you exist, but they have a personal relationship with you through Jesus Christ. I pray that those people would be greatly encouraged in their faith and they would be looking for opportunities to share the gospel message with a lost and dying world and do it very graciously. And then for anyone here this morning who's not quite there yet or on the fence I'm just honored that they're here. This is the best place for them to be. I pray that they come back next week as well. But I pray that today would be the day that they would place their trust away from themselves and in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins, and then they have the rest of their life to get answers to some of these interesting questions. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.